This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This week, the Clarets proved that the grass is most certainly greener at Turf Moor. It was Arsenal at home. It's the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the No Nay Never podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me this week are regular panellists Richard and George. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Hello Natalie, good evening. Good evening Richard. Now George, um, we were literally just speaking on air before, uh, off air, sorry, before we started recording that your time hop today has quite nicely reminded you that it's your No Nay Never anniversary today. It's exactly 12 months since you first joined us yeah i'm delighted to still be hanging on in here cheers natalie i'm still hanging on still clinging on and i've got you a cake if i'd have known we should have had a, a known and ever cake that would have been great but happy anniversary george <laughs> well, happy anniversary um i don't know to be fair i think richard probably must have missed yours because i remember you coming on the podcast before george did so maybe we missed your anniversary i'm you know yeah. sorry I think my first podcast was the game after we lost to Man United last year. Uh, sorry, we drew two all in the last minute. I might be wrong, but that means yeah, that sounds about right. So yours will have been just after Christmas, I think. Then yeah, I think, I think that was around right, yeah. the Christmas time. Oh well, happy belated anniversaries, both of you. I have no idea when my known and ever anniversary is, and, and quite frankly, I've, I've lost count of the number of years. It's been quite some time. We did um, we did some features this week for radio shows and. Uh, one of the questions I got asked was how long you've been doing known and ever, and I just thought, my goodness, far too long. Um, but let's not worry about that. Let's get on with the show. And of course, we have a a very good. Let's start with. We'll we'll, we'll go on to the disappointments later on, but a very good point at home against Arsenal at the weekend. The Clarets drawing nil nil at Turf Moor against Mikel Arteta's cheating. Um, goodness side. Um. I'm going to dive straight into it, guys, and we'll have a look. Because, to be honest, it was a game that didn't necessarily have a massive amount of talking points. But, Richard, I'll come to you first. Did you come off the ground feeling that that was two points dropped? Or are you generally pleased with the point? I'm very pleased with the performance we put in, especially second half. I thought we was excellent. We really took the game to Arsenal. At no point did I feel that we was, you know, happy with a point. Even, you know, going into the last 10 minutes when... Rodriguez at the bar, you know, we were still going for the win. So, yeah, I, I, I was disappointed we didn't get all all the three points. I thought we had enough chances to win the game. We played really well. I thought we dominated large parts of the game. Um, but at the same time, when Aubameyang missed that header, then it just went wide with not so long left. You know, there was a part of me that thought, going into the last part of the game, that Arsenal was going to nick one like they normally do. So, I think to round off, you know, after the United game to beat them, it, it would have been a shame if we come away with nothing after playing so well. So um, it's another point and another point to them 40-point mark. Um, but I was more just pleased with the performance and how we took the game to them. Um, and it's funny how Cork and Westwood in the last few weeks have really started uh, playing well and putting that 100% effort in again now where uh, young Josh Brownell has signed. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and we'll we'll talk about that later on. But it's 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 funny, isn't it, Richard? What a bit of competition will do. Um, I, I completely agree with you, Richard. I, I think um, when I was asked this question this week as to whether it felt like a very well earned point or whether it was two points dropped, I think you can actually think both. I think coming immediately off the game, so in that time in that space, the immediate reaction I think has got to feel like it was two points dropped. Um, Richard, you're absolutely right. It was a great performance. We were the better side and we had some glorious chances in the second half to, to nick it. Um notwithstanding you know, just if more than anything, Jay's Jay's effort at the end. Um but then I, th- I guess if you step back away from that and you look at the the broader um league and you look at the position and where we are a home point against Arsenal when we've not yet managed as much as that in the Premier League. You've got to be happy with that. Um, George, coming to you then, and, and this is all I'm going to say on this first little bit because I think we've got a lot more good things to talk about than not. Um, despite Richard rightly saying it was a great performance, particularly some individual performances, I thought we looked quite vulnerable in the first 15, 20 minutes. We didn't quite get out of the blocks, did we? And that seems to be a bit of a recurring thing for Sean Natcher's sides at the moment. I'm not really sure what it is. Yeah, I totally agree. I was re-watching the, uh, the game back on uh, yesterday on Monday and the first 10, 15 minutes, I d- don't know how Arsenal didn't score. They d- certainly had the massive chance with uh, Bamiyang when he went through and he, he tried to hit it with his laces when he, he could have easily slotted it past Pope. I, I don't know how he didn't score. Uh, there and obviously Lacazette had the header as well but although we do have a problem starting slowly at the beginning of halves and we've had this problem all season of quite a while now I think on with Saturday's with Sunday's game actually it's more the case of for the first 10 or 15 minutes Arsenal were playing like the sort of top six side that they really should be you know they were showing their quality on the ball they didn't look ruffled or anything by us and perhaps that was because it was so early on in the game that we were yet to really get stuck into them and they sort of got into their stride but I think what's more pleasing about that is after the first 15 minutes until maybe the last 10 uh, what Richard mentioned we actually stopped them looking threatening at all and that's definitely when we did get in their faces and change the game so although you could see it as a negative on us starting badly I think there's definitely a positive to take out of it in that it didn't continue to be a trend throughout the entire game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I guess, Richard, it, it's. I, w- I do wonder sometimes whether slow starts and, and particularly slow first halves are linked to the Deitch blueprint of, of the success that he's had recently. We know full well that his first half strategy is usually very much to sit tight get to nil-nil at half-time and start trying to, to make things happen in the second half. Um, well, whether that's intentional or not, it certainly looks like it. That, that seems to be what they do, um, especially when you're playing at home against a side like Arsenal. So maybe, maybe Richard, it was a combination of, of that, let's just sit deep, let's take it easy, let's not go and chase the game and, and leave ourselves exposed because we'll get punished. Um, and that may be a combination, Richard, of... Um, being surprised because Arsenal haven't been great recently. And, and like like George said, in that first 20 minutes, they were a lot better than they have been recently. Yeah, it is becoming a common trait. I think it takes us maybe 10, 15 minutes to work out exactly how a team's playing and what our shape should be. They were getting a lot of joy down the left-hand side. Um, Saka from left-back, who was obviously a promising young player, kept getting you know decent deliveries into the box. There was a couple of times where that ball over the top when, as George said before, Aubameyang should have scored and, you know, he didn't finish it well. And I just noticed maybe after 10 minutes or so, Westwood started pulling away and started, you know, covering the right-hand side a bit more and we seemed to get a bit of a foothold in the game. I wouldn't say, you know, on Sunday it was necessarily because, you know, we were on the back foot because we are sitting deep, 10 men behind the ball. I think we actually got caught in you know, in possession like we do sometimes. And, you know, we, we got caught in vulnerable vulnerable positions, three on twos, two on two on ones. Um, but, you know, we were covered very well. And then after that 10 minutes when we kind of got our bearings, thought, right, we, we may need to, you know, put a little bit more protection down our right-hand side. I thought we called with the threat well. Um, and I thought it was a bit of a blessing in disguise, actually, that, Saka went off at half time because and Jacka went to full back because um, Arsenal seemed to lose quite a lot of a lot of the threat there and we really got a foothold. 
Yeah, we did. Um, it must have really pleased you, though, Richard, just to see. It seemed to be, oh, I can't remember if it was Aubameyang's was it Aubameyang's misc? There was a miss after about maybe 18, 17, 18 minutes. It was a really good chance. They'd carved out our defence, and I think I think if it was on target, they'd have beaten Nick Pope as well. And it seemed to me that that was the, the spark that the team needed, the way they went right. We've sized them up now. We know how they're playing. If we... If we don't take a more proactive approach and we take this game to them, we're going to get beat here. And Richard, you must have been really pleased to see. It was a very obvious shift in a mindset, wasn't it? And we did see that Burnley side going after the game and chasing the game and trying to make things happen rather than being more reactive. And and that's how we got the success in the game, I think. Yeah, it's really nice to see us getting on the front foot against a team who's got frailties, even though... You know, I don't like to give him too much credit because I'm not a massive fan of Arsenal, but I, I actually thought they defended really well at times. They were, they were strong. They did stand up to our set pieces. And, you know, I thought after a little bit of pressure, two or three corners did wilt in the end, but credit to them, they didn't. Um, but, you know, when it just so, that's what's frustrating sometimes. You know, there's some games like Aston Villa at home were, were so lethargic, were so stale, lacking intensity. And, and, we're, and we're just like teams have an easy game. And, you know, these last few games, you know, especially like second half against Leicester, who, you know, we are a very, very good side. When we when we take the games to teams and we play with that high intensity and we start pressing them, you know, when we really get in the faces, you know, we're, we're a very good team and we're excellent at what we do. And these last few games, we have played better football. It's not just been absolute hoof ball all the time. Um, up to Wood and Rodriguez, there's been some lovely passages of play. We've got the ball out wide and we've caused teams problems and, you know, these last three games have been short to chalk and cheese to what we've seen over the last two months. And, you know, you, you can feel it in the stadium. You know, the fans, they're getting behind the team. They're making turf more hostile again. And, you know, it's given me a lot of optimism. You know, really, I've, I'm going to say it. And I have said it before on the podcast. I, you know, I think with the run we've had, we will be safe. So we can really look forward to, you know, you know, to this second half of the season, and let's all rather than looking down all the time, we can, we you know, we can start to look up. And you know, we're in February now, and we're saying points as Arsenal, mm-hmm. so it's a, you know, um, so that's really like positive for us. And uh, and at times you would say for two or three months we didn't even turn up and play well. Yeah, yeah, no, Richard, I. I... I second those and I back you up. I'm going to be your deputy on this this claim, absolutely. I am saying right here, right now, we are absolutely safe. Um, I know we've said it quite a little, a few times on the podcast. Um, I still think you're going to need 40 points this season. Um, and for those who haven't heard the various comments that we've had on this, I think there's the, the dominance of the traditional top six hasn't been there this year. Um, there's the dominance of Liverpool and even City are giving points away left, left, right and centre. But there's been too many bonus results, particularly in the early stages of the season, where teams you expect to be in a relegation battle are taking points off the top six. So the points are cascading down the leagues and there's more up for grabs. Um, I think in some of the seasons where you've only needed maybe 37, 38 or even 36 sometimes to survive, it's because the top six sides have been winning all of their home and away games out, you know, against those sides outside outside the traditional top six. Um, Richard, I back you up completely. You know, we're now on what the fourth of February, and we're on thirty one points. So we've got all of February, March, and April, and is it one game in May? I think to to it's three wins, three wins, and we've got that forty points. Um, we do. We've got three games now where we've got is it Bournemouth. Southampton and Newcastle, um, you know, they won't be easy, but they are certainly ones that we should be looking to get points from. Then we've got a little bit of a a blip where we've got City and Spurs, I think. But then with the exception of Liverpool, um, the rest of our games to the end of the season are ones where you should be looking to extract points from. So, uh, Richard Steele, I back you up. Uh, We're absolutely safe. And you're right, we should be looking to enjoy the rest of the season. Um, And with that in mind, George... um, our new signing Josh Brownhill didn't feature on Saturday wasn't even on the bench and weirdly and and I'm I'm sorry if if this offends anybody who did actually tweet this on social media of any of our listeners but I was genuinely quite shocked at a little bit of needling on social media and a lot of criticism that oh we've we've bought this new player and he's not even on the bench um I know we joke about Dyche fitness but after one day's training and he's not even moved his family up yet from Bristol 
he was never going to be on the bench on Saturday. And I don't think we would have wanted him to, would we? Especially with the, the midwinter break round the corner. Yeah, honestly, I just, these days when it's, people just find negativity wherever they can find it. Now we've turned our actual Premier League form round again and we're looking like a fine side again. People are always going to look, go looking for other ways to be negative towards their club. I was still seeing people, you know, really attacking the board because obviously deadline day was going to be a boring day for us because we'd got the Brownhill, the Brownhill deal done the day before. So I, I didn't expect him to be in the squad on Sunday and rightfully he wasn't. He must have had one training session, if that, with the club. And especially, as you say, with the, we've got this winter break, which I don't really see as much of a break. It's like a week off, which is nothing. You know, we would have had a week off anyway if we were in the FA Cup some weeks. So I don't see it as much of a break, but it definitely gives him time to get up to speed with the squad. And like Richard was saying before, with Cork and Westwood performing as they are, I don't actually expect him to be starting many games between now and the end of the season. I think it'll be a case of... Oh, really? Yeah, I think it'll be a case of maybe if he comes in when one of them are injured, maybe, and he plays well, then he stays in the side. That's usually the dash way. That's how Taylor's got back in the side early on in the season. But I, I don't actually expect him to start that many games between now and the end of the season. Uh, I still think we'll Cork and Westwood. I've, I've got the opposite. I really think he is going to. But I was going to... I wonder whether this will make a difference to your opinion. Just picking up again on what Richard said about safety looking like it's going to be there. And we've, we're almost starting to pr- prepare for next season now. Without needing to go into every single game, absolutely terrified. Not oh, We're not going to go in absolutely terrified, but you know what I mean? It's like without having the worry on the back of our minds about Premier League safety. And as Richard said, having that ability to enjoy the rest of the season and, and take the shackles off a little bit and relax and enjoy the football again. Surely this is a perfect opportunity to bring Brownhill in and to see which formation works. You're right, um, Westwood and Cork have stepped it up a bit recently, but Cork, for me especially, still desperately looks like he needs a break. Um, so does that not change your view a little bit, George, and, and think, well, this is a great opportunity to bring him in? No, you bang on, to be fair. And if, if I was manager, if I was playing FIFA and managing the club, then Brownhill would be starting in quite a lot of games, but... I just don't see Dyche as the sort of manager who'll tinker with the squad that much. In previous years, when like in the Europe season, maybe when we finished seventh, maybe we had a lot more to fight for. But with the last few games, we did have it secure. And we still weren't really giving any pe- other people a go. I just can't see him tinkering with the side. He'll still want to go into every game wanting to win. And although, yeah, it's positive at the moment, we're on 31 points. I still think it'll be a month, maybe maybe more than a month and a half before we actually get to 40 points because we've only got them two winnable games, Southampton and Newcastle. And to be honest, I don't see us picking up more than four points out of that. And then we've got... The Do you not think we'll pick game. something up from Bournemouth? Oh, is the Bournemouth? We've got Bournemouth as well. So, see, I, still, three. I still think it'd be a while to wait 40 because even then we'd have to win all three. And to be honest, I don't see us yeah. at Southampton. I think it's just one of them games after the winter break. It'll take us a while to just get back into the mojo of things. It's at their ground. Uh, so I don't think we'll actually be safe for that for, for until quite a while off. So I just don't see him tinkering with the side, to be honest. Although I would personally start Brown. Can I just interrupt and say something there? I, I don't like doing We're saying can. that we're definitely not going to get any points against Tottenham and City. We've just got seven points from Arsenal, United and, and, and Leicester. Yes, you're absolutely right. Way, <laughs> well, we might get a point here. We might get one point there. Come on, John, lad, we'll get so six right. against City and Tottenham and, and we'll be safe. <laughs> Bravo, Richard Steele, you're absolutely right. And you know what? I went into default Berlin mode then without even realising it. And I've got on my show notes in front of me to talk about in the next couple of, of sections to talk about what, where we thought we were going to be with this horrendous run of nine games and where we have actually got to. And even that staring at me, I went into default Burnley, but like, Ooh, well, that's going to be a tough game. We won't get any points there and we won't beat Southampton. Richard, you're right. We've just beaten Leicester at home. We've beaten United at Old Trafford. We took a point off Arsenal at home. Why won't we beat Southampton? Why won't we get something out of City and Spurs? You know, Richard, you're absolutely right. Um, Richard, let's stick with you then, because obviously um, one of the things that I think is starting to wind us up a little bit is um, it seems to us that when we do talk about these fantastic results and Burnley get these great results, there always seems to be some kind of 
niggling in the press um, from particularly the opposition side that puts a sour note about it. And of course, this time I'm talking about just quite frankly, the bizarre comments coming out of Mikel Arteta at the end of the game that the grass was too long, we hadn't watered it, it was difficult conditions to play in, all of this nonsense, which actually I'm very pleased to see has been absolutely ribbed for in the press. A lot of the the banter social media accounts are absolutely ripping him for that. Um, And it just, it feels to me, Richard, that some sides take real exception to getting beaten from us and we don't get the credit where credit's due. It's like, why is it so annoying? You know, if Arsenal got beat off Watford or Huddersfield when they were up last year or something, that still doesn't seem to elicit the same emotional reaction to getting beat off Burnley. What is it about us that's annoying people? I am torn on this. I don't think I'm personally as precious about it as what other people are. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't get upset by it. The one counter-argument I'll add to that is Chelsea stuffed us twice this season and they've not had a moan about Burnley playing physical, about Burnley playing anti-football, this, this and that. Last season when we drew with them at Stamford Bridge, you know, they were they was, they was saying all that nonsense and now Arsenal are doing the same again. So I'd much rather us be beating teams that apparently we shouldn't be beating, that we're inferior to than having all this nonsense in the press. I think in some ways it does us a favour because... People are, I think people do, don't get me wrong, good times when we are bad, we are bad and the football's bad to watch. But there's times when we, when we do play some good football, you know, look at Jay's goal that he scored and I think we've got a lot of f- praise in the press for that goal, not just about the finish, but about the football that was played. So, yeah, Arsenal, have, you know, and Arteta, some of his comments have quite frankly been just silly and ridiculous. Um, but at the end of the day... If do you think it's pressure, Richard? Pardon? Do you think it's just pressure? Do you think it's pressure? Do you think they're just I think, I think th- these top what managers? I would say, what I would say with this situation is, do Fergie, Fergie did it, one of the greatest managers. He always deflected the attention away from his players when they played badly. So Arteta knew his players haven't been playing well. They're under the, they're under the pump in the media, especially by their own fans. So in coming out with stuff like that, it deflects the pressure back on him and away from his players. Would it be different in the dressing room? Probably. So, Dice does it as well. Very, very rarely will Dice come out and criticise his players. He'll blame it on something else or another reason. So, I think there's a little bit of that. And I think I think you can take it, you know, maybe a bit of tongue-in-cheek in time and, and just laugh it off. And, you know, there was, don't get me wrong, we will always get negative praise. But I think after the, the, the United game, um, amongst all the negativity and all the Scholzgaard bashing, there was a lot of positivity from Burnley. So um, about Burnley, so you know, I think, I think, well, I think in general in life, you kind of look at the negatives more than you do the positives sometimes. So, um, yeah, and I think sometimes the, the negative stuff stands out more. But there's, there's still a lot of good press about Burnley. Um, doesn't really bother me as as long as we keep doing what we're doing, and if we we're still. You know, what will it be? Our fourth year in the Premier League, we're still going under the radar. So, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I think I, I'm i quite sensitive about it. And I think it's because I've I've watched Burnley for a lot of years now. And I, I, it, it just annoys me that we don't get the credit that, we've, that we deserve. And it always seems to be like some downer thing and us that we... So it's this it's the implication that we cheated our way or we did some underhand tactics to get it done. And it's like, I can see what we've grown and it, you know, it might not be as quick as what everybody else has done. And we might take a little bit longer to, um, to, you know, to, to get the funds behind us or to grow the squad or to get up to speed with everybody else. You know, we haven't got billionaire investors who've come in and been able to change it around overnight. And it just, it just annoys me a little bit when it's dismissive that it, that it's just, I don't know. It, it just annoys me, that's all. Um, but Richard and George, I'm sorry, you, you, I'm going to put you uh, down just very briefly. Um, so I just want to stick with Richard on this point because, Richard, I think rather than the, the negativity and the, and the um, perceived crap tactics from Burnley, you were much more outraged actually about Arsenal's tactics on the pitch. So why don't you elaborate on that? Oh, I just thought some of the players, Lacazette was one that, that highlighted it for me. He didn't look interested one bit. 
you know, someone who's got a lot of talent. He spent half the time holding his head, holding his ankle, mourning that Gwen Doozy never stopped. Honestly, you know, or Ozil, just, it was just non-stop play acting, diving all the time. And, you know, if you, if you, like, I've coached a lot of kids who were five, six and seven. I'd be, and if that was one of my son or daughter playing football and they were diving like that, I'd, I'd, I'd tell them to get up straight away. And it's just, and, and like Di said in his interview, it seems like he's the only one who wants to do something about it. And I, I, I thought they were by far the worst team I've seen this season. It just really grated on me throughout the game. And we, I think, did, did we have one yellow card in the game compared to their three? I can't remember us really putting in a dirty tackle. They were just strong on his tackles. And it was just non-stop, constant mourning. And to be fair, you know, the ref- referees will always get the decisions wrong. But I think overall, they didn't fall too much for Arsenal's nonsense. Um, and yeah, it was just, it just really grated on me by the end of the game. And just something that I thought was like really funny. Ben Mee got a kick in the head. And he just literally got up straight away. And he just ran over to Louise and just gave him a little nudge to, to say, come on, lad, this is, this is, this is how you do it. You know, this is how we do yeah. it currently. You, you know, we're not going to play out like like you are. Yeah, they are massive whinge bags. It drives me mad. Um, but, George, I mean, it, it breeds across a lot of the top sides at the moment and and not necessarily as dramatic and as gamesmanship um, as Arsenal were at the weekend. But we've, we've, of course, seen it certainly from the City side. We saw it against Spurs as well. The, the professional foul culture... Um, Richard and I, talk, we talked about this off air before we started and, and Richard's view very much is that it's always been around. But for me, it seems to be really prominent this season. Whenever you're playing one of these top sides, if you get a break or you get a run on goal or you get yourself in a decent position, they just bring you down straight away. And it's like, why have we got the reputation for being the anti-football and it's dull to watch, yet that's deemed to be perfectly acceptable? This... Um, like you say, this professional foul culture is—it seems to be absolutely rife at the moment. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you're alone in thinking that, Natalie. I've seen definitely a lot on Twitter uh, about it. I think obviously Jamie Smith used to be with us at No Name Ever. He was tweeting a lot about it at the weekend, and it definitely is becoming more prominent, especially in the public's eyes. And I, I tend to agree that the tactical foul is being used more often. Though I do side with Richard in that it's always been around. What I think for me personally, anyway, what makes it even more obvious to us is just that because these days the bigger sides are becoming such extremely good teams like Liverpool and Manchester City, what I notice is, especially when we do play against City, you, you never get the ball. They have like 70, 70% plus possession every time you play against them. So the one time you break and you counter attack and you think, we're actually going to get a chance. They just bring you down and take the tactical foul. And I think that's, for me, that's what's made it more obvious in recent years. It's just the fact that chances are so few and far between for us smaller sides against them that when you actually finally do get to break, they just break. They just bring you down and tactical foul. So I think that's what becomes more annoying for me. So I think it's always been a part of the game, but it's just maybe that these days, because the bigger sides have gotten so good at what they do, it just becomes more obvious to us and more frustrating because any chance we might get, mm. it just they just tactical value and you never you never get a chance. Yeah, it drives me mad. I completely agree. Um well let's let's pull it back to the game itself then and George, let's stick with you. Um if it wasn't for perhaps some slightly more ruthless I guess is it ruthless? We could have taken the three points and I, you know, you look at these in the second half and certainly uh, Wood, Rodriguez, Tarky with a header and Hendrick himself as well had some really, really good chances to, to put it there. I mean, do, do we, we've, we're clearly creating more chances this season than we have done in previous seasons and that for me has been a really encouraging thing this season. Um, I know in previous years we've talked about us not really creating much and wondering where the next goal is going to come from um, but we are still somehow missing that slight killer instinct in front of goal. We get it every now and again but you do kind of feel that slightly better teams than us 
would have scored three or four goals in that second half with the chances that we created. Um, I fully expect that Josh Brownhill will help with that because he'll get, you know, he will get some more chances ahead for us and with those chances will become more clearer, more um, easy to score. Um, weirdly, I'm kind of going to take Jay's effort out of this because I think it, I think that was just one of those where it should have gone in the back of the net and I'm still having nightmares about it. And I don't know if it just just didn't hit his foot clean enough. But certainly, we should be looking now at, at concentrating the second half, I think, on a more ruthless edge up front. Do you think that's fair to say? I, I agree with that Brownhill coming into the side will create more clear-cut chances. And I, I just think the game at the weekend was one of them where you have it every so often where you have so many good chances and none of them seem to go in. The game that springs to mind immediately is the Olympiakos game at home uh, at the beginning of last season where Vokes put the ball everywhere he could but the back of the net. And it just seemed to be one of them games for me at the weekend again. I don't think it's perhaps uh, lacking the finishing skills up front because I think Barnes, Wood, Rodriguez, you put a ball on the plate to them and nine times out of ten they'll be able to score. I think it is a case of just maybe the creativity's there but it's not putting a clear-cut chance in front of the strikers, um, which I think if Goodmanson was fit, I think he'd definitely help. Uh, Brownhill coming into the side, if Brady was on the top of his game, which we haven't seen for a very long time, then I think we'd get them chances. I just think at the weekend it was one of them where we could have carried on playing for another half an hour. It, it didn't seem like we were going to score. The the J one obviously being the most obvious, it, it, perhaps he got too much of a, a good contact on it and it sort of... It rose from his foot and obviously went onto the crossbar. Uh, the Hendrick one sh- should have scored. So I don't think it's uh, something that we should be too concerned about. Okay. It's just one of them games. But maybe just uh, some more clear-cut chances and Brownhill coming into the side will definitely help Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Richard, final word on our strike force from you then. I am personally absolutely loving this Jay and Wood partnership to the point where I'm already thinking, like, how's Ashley going to fight his way back into this side? I just think it's it's different. And every single time they play together, they're getting stronger and stronger and they're, just, they're finding really clicky ways to play together. That partnership is blossoming massively. I know Barnes is a bit of a cult hero, but I was personally getting quite sick of, you know, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, going to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe struggling with a bit with with his injury. But I was getting a bit sick of his play acting and his diving and rolling about on the floor. So since Rodriguez has come in, his energy, his quality, his technical ability has been an absolute breath of fresh air. And he's just getting better and better each game. I know he missed that chance on, you know, on, on Sunday, which he should have scored. But I thought overall, take away his chance the 90 minutes that he's played the runs that he was making his first touch was superb bringing the ball out of the earth his link-up play with the midfield getting the ball out wide his link-up play with Wood was absolutely outstanding um, and he's just benefiting from you know starting a run of games and and I think Wood's looked a better player uh, playing with him you know Wood scoring goals the ball scoring goals um, so yeah obviously it'll be good to have Barnes back in the squad because maybe you know, with about 10, 15 minutes to go, it might have been good to bring on, you know, Barnes for Wood, maybe as a just just a different option because we need a squad and obviously Ashley is a big part of that. Um, but yeah, I just think Rodriguez is just so, such a clever player and yeah, it's just been really nice seeing him back in the team. And let's not forget, you know, he, he is a Burnley lad and he works his absolute um, stones off. So yeah, it's yeah. been really good to see him back in the team and, and them two flourishing and long may it continue. Absolutely. I've got to say, it does make a massive difference to me that he's one of ours. It really does. It just, you know, when you like a player and he's doing well for you, you've got that, you know, you've got that loyalty to him. And, and you know, look at Ben Mee, for example. We all love Ben Mee and, and things like that. But then when he's got the added layer of being a Burnley lad as well and his family all go on turf, you're like, oh, I just love you even more. Um, okay, then before we start to move on to, to the wider um, issues going around at the club at the moment. I do want to kind of touch on Norwich as well, the cup exit and this winter break. Um, can I press you both for your man of the match? George, we'll start with you. I was hoping you won't bring up the Norwich ah, game, to be honest. I'd like to forget it. But um, yeah, shame to, come out, shame to go out of the cup. Uh, I'm just putting it to the back of my mind. I don't really want to speak much more about it. I'm fed up with Sean Dyche in the cups. It just doesn't seem to work <laughs> well. But, but for the weekend, man of the match, um, I think Tarkovsky was probably my man of the match, even though it was a game where we were on the front foot, so 
uh, so much. I think he just put in a solid performance and uh, it always works well, a dice side that starts from the back and he's solid and that's how we go on to win games. Shame we couldn't quite find the goal at the weekend, but talks for me, man of the match. Excellent, Richard. So is this man of the match for the Arsenal game? It is, yeah. Yeah, me, Taylor again, I think. Mm. Just these last three games against Leicester, United and um, Arsenal, he's been man of the match in all three. And I think there's going to be a, more and more England whispers around him soon, especially in yes. a position that we're not left with. So, um, so, yeah, Taylor again, just unbelievable. The way he carries the ball is just, yeah, fantastic. Him and, him and, if we can replicate what we've got, on the left, down the right, in the closed season, will be a top-half team. Wow. What a statement. Um, George, did you have something that you wanted to add? I'm a bit reeled by that. Richard, your positivity tonight is amazing. We're safe. Charlie Taylor for England. I love it. Uh, George, did you want to finish off at that point before we move on? Yeah, I just wanted to make mention of, um, I was listening to a Five Live podcast, one of the Football Dailies the other day, and it was the Deadline Day special. Uh, talking a, a lot about Danny Rose's loan move to Newcastle. And it just really just, uh, it, it annoyed me slightly because they were talking about, and I didn't really know about this, but how much admiration Southgate has for Danny Rose. And he's really one of his favourites. So although T- Taylor's been playing so well for us and I think he should be in the England squad, it just really frustrated me because I've not got that much hope of it. Because obviously Chilwell's going to be in there. And I just think with this Southgate having Rose as a favourite, He'll, Rose will be going as a backup left back to Euros, which I just think's a real shame. And Taylor definitely has been playing so well for us and should be in consideration. Yeah, no, least. I do. I like I like that theory. Okay, then. Well, let's just given George has kind of made his point very clear that he does not want to talk about Norwich, so I'm kind of now don't really want to bring it up. So instead of talking about the Norwich and the cup exit, which we're all sad about, because especially now we've got 31 points, it would have been great to have a distraction of a cup run. Damn you, Sean Dyche, cup sides. Um, Richard, we've we've heard over the last couple of weeks, and this is a conversation I had with quite a good few buddies of mine over the weekend. Um, it looks like... Harry Kane is not going to be fit for the Euros. Um, nobody's made that assessment yet. Nobody's categorically ruled him out. But his surgeon's saying it's going to be the end of April before he even starts training again. And I'm going to hopefully give Southgate the benefit of the doubt and think that he's not just going to take a half-fit or unfit Harry Kane to the Euros just for the sake of having Harry Kane in the squad. Because I think we've made that mistake uh, too many times before in the internationals. So let's assume that Kane is definitely ruled out and, and Southgate has to now start looking at different options. Two questions. Number one, who would you start considering to start being around the squad as a, as a different striker? And number two, does that name include Jay Rodriguez? <laughs> I think, you know, I've just praised Jay a lot there and I think, you know, he's definitely got the quality, but I think he needs to, you know, prove himself a little bit more. It's his first season, you know, back in the Premier League for, you know, obviously West Brom got relegated last season and, you know, he's had a, you know, he has been playing, playing very well the last three or four games, but I think sometimes names can be banded about the England squad too quickly. One, going back to Charlie Taylor for, is that, since you know, I'd say since Christmas time last year when we went on our good run, he's had a solid twelve months, or you know, or the equivalent to of being really at the top of his game. So I think that's why he should come into the consideration. So, um, I'm looking at Jay's age. Would I take him? No, I, I still wouldn't take him. Um, I, you know, personally, I, I'd really like Danny Ings to, you know, to get called up. I, I think he deserves his chance. He's been fantastic all the way through this season. Um, I know there's some people who's got still a, a bit of animosity to Ings with the way he left or anything. But me personally, you know, I've really got a lot of respect for Ings. I thought he was fantastic for Burnley. He's one. Of, he's the best striker I've seen um, at the club. And, you know, I think he still does a lot for the club. I know he still puts money into the to the charity that he funds. So, you know... If if I could say anyone deserves to get that call up who's not been in and around the squad for a while to come in for Kane or for Rashford who's in at the moment, um, I think King should get the shout. But I think it's a fair comment mentioning Jay, but uh, you know, not for me. Yeah, I think for what it's worth, I agree. Um, I think 
it'd be very lovely to think about Jay, especially as when he was down at Southampton, he was being talked about going to the World Cup squad when he got that awful injury. Um, so, you know, his name has previously been on the England radar, but for what it's worth, Rich, I do agree with you. I'm agreeing with you a lot this this show. It's clearly, I'm, I'm turning into a fangirl. Um, George, bearing in mind that obviously we've already mentioned Danny Ings and I agree. Um, I think Danny's got to be up there. Um do you think Vardy could come out of retirement and play one last tournament? Do you think he's worth taking? Yeah, I was just about to say, I think a lot of this talk depends completely on the Vardy situation. Obviously, we haven't heard much of it yet. I think maybe we'll get the conclusion to this in the next in, uh, in the next squad, uh, whether Vardy is in that squad. Because if he's out of retirement, then definitely he's, he's going to the Euros. He's probably going to be our starting striker. Um, I still think, to be honest, I'm a bit not. I'm a bit more pessimistic than you in that. I still think they'd take a half fit Kane to the Euros, especially with him being captain. If if they thought he could be fit by the quarters, I think they'd t- be taking him. Um, I think Rashford will be going. So then you've got Rashford, Vardy, but I'd have to agree with both of you. Danny Ings has got to be going to the Euros. He's been in such tremendous form uh, this season for Southampton. He's been a phenomenal player for so many years now. And as we know, Southgate likes his under-21s, who he's he's had when he was under-21s manager. He had Danny Ings back then. He's obviously a fan. So I think this summer's come at the perfect time for Ings, where I think he could be going to the Euros, hopefully. Uh, He's been so good this season. Every time I see see him on match of the day, he's scoring. Or just his his link-up play and the, the way he works for the team. He's just taken what he had at Burnley and obviously gone to a massive club in Liverpool, improved beyond belief. And I really do think he's he's primed for another transfer, to be honest, this summer if he wanted it. He could go back up the league a bit more. But definitely, if Vardy's out of retirement, he goes as my starting striker to the Euros. As for J-Rod, the time's passed, I'm afraid. He's over 30 now. It's just a real shame that injury stopped his England career for me. Wow, cutthroat. I like it. Um, the only thing I'd say on that, George, is I'm not entirely sure Rashford will go. This um, is out for the entire season with his back surgery. So I don't, I'm not sure that, I think there might be two spots to take, I think. Maybe I've not got the most up to date. Completely forgot. I think he's definitely out. I think um, what's called Harry Kane's touch and go, but I think I don't think Rashford will be there. But anyway, Um Right, let's, just before we go then, um, it is the very first inaugural, um, oh, actually, Richard's just put in our chat that Wilson from Bournemouth will go. That's a great shout. Um, oh, that grates me that Bournemouth players get in there. Um, I, that's just throwing me off my train of thought, is that now? What were we saying? Mid-to-break. Yes, of course, this season is now the Premier League's first ever mid-winter break and the Clarets have got a weekend off. Although, as George quite rightly said before we went on air, it's it's effectively just a week off. It's not really that much of a winter break. Um, I I wonder what... I'm going to come to both of you. I'm just going to give you one option. So if you could rub the magic lamp and the genie comes out and you can force Sean Dyche to work on one thing on this squad or one thing around the club in the mid-winter break... What one thing would it be? And I'm going to go to Richard first because I went to George first on one of the match. So, Richard, what one thing? Uh, it's a good question. What I would say is our maybe other than McNeil, our crossing from open play. The amount of times we get the ball, especially down the right, and, the, you know, some we really do waste a lot of crosses, especially with the players we've got in the middle. Um, you know, McNeil put some good deliveries in and our, you know, on our balls from set pieces and corners are normally very good. I just think sometimes we get quite wasteful from crosses from open play down the right-hand side. And I'm not going to gripe on about Hendrick because I think he has, you know, I'm not his biggest fan, but I think he has done well the last few games and he's not a winger. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that. And like George said before, I think if Goodmanson was in the team, uh, I think we would get better quality from that right-hand side. But obviously he's crocked. Uh, and like I've said a million times before, you know, just ball retention, being a little bit brave on the ball and, you know, having a bit more quality to try and get out of difficult and tight situations. But obviously that comes with top, top players. 
I know that's two, but there we go. No, yeah, you're not having that second one. You're not allowed that second one. So your first one is, I'm going to take your first answer. So you're going to ask them to concentrate on crosses, particularly into the box, which is a great answer. Um, George, what's your one thing? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break the rules again, and I'm gonna go with two things. Just... No, one. The rule is one. Pick one. One is for the winter break, and one is that I want Brownell to be completely trained so hard with the squad that he's ready to just be starting at the end of the winter break. He goes slots straight in ahead of court. That's, that's a one thing. You that, can't have two. You've got to pick one. That, that's the one thing, oh Brownell. But then after the winter break, I just want, and I know you've talked about this a lot before, Natalie. Oh. I just one thing is that when we get to 40 points, we put our feet up and we think we're on the beach. And that's just one thing for the rest of the season. I just don't want us to do that again. I want us to keep pushing and dash to get that instilled in the heads. We keep pushing after 40 points. Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the second bit slide because actually that links very quite nicely, and this definitely wasn't prepared at all. That links very smoothly into my one thing that I was gonna have, but literally. One thing, uh, listeners, I've got no control over the known and ever panel at all. Literally, they, do, they don't listen to a word I say. Actually, this makes me laugh. Quick pause, quick side note. Um, when I was at the um, Norwich game, I took my dad, took Daddy B, into the hospitality stuff in the Bob Lord stand. And we had tickets. that Our seats were right behind Shaw Dyche. So he was literally a stone's throw away from him. And there was an absolutely hilarious moment where I think Chris Wood had done something. He'd made a weird run or he'd not gone for something. And Dyche was screaming some instructions at him or saying something to him. He had his back to me, so I couldn't hear it. And and Chris Wood was turning around and he was just testing just doing something with his arms. He was like, yeah, whatever, man, whatever. And he turned around to the bench. He went, and he said, he said, I don't know why I bother talking to him. He doesn't pay any bloody attention to me anyway. He didn't say the B word. He said the other naughty word, but I can't say on air. And he just, it was basically, he was saying like, it doesn't pay the slightest bit of attention to me. So that, that just made me, made me think of the known and ever panellists. I, I have as much control over our panel as, as, um, young Sean Dash has over Chris Wood. Um, so my one thing, which links to, to George's, um, not taking our foot off the gas. Is a thing for for Deitch, actually. It's not for the players, and I want him to not get too down to earth. I want him to enable himself to become more cutthroat. And I'll tell you where this prompted me from. When we were talking about, um, well, in his post match interviews after the Arsenal game, it was talked a lot about: is that two points drop? Should you have won the game? And he turned around and he said. Um, I thought the performance level was good, actually, but you don't want to get greedy. And it's essentially like you were saying that a point's enough. Like, let's not get greedy here. We can't just be wishing for three points every game. And I just thought, yes, you can. Yes, you can have that mentality. And I understand that Deitch works very, very hard um, to keep Burnley humble and down to earth and everybody's feet on the ground. So this may just be lip service for the press. It might just be the image that we want to portray externally. But if it's not, my one thing for the winter break is for Deitch to be behind closed doors saying, yes, we're going to be greedy. Yes, we want to get three points. I don't care whether we're at Anfield, whether we're at Old Trafford, whether Spurs are at Turf Moor or Arsenal are running around the too long grass at Turf Moor. We want to win every single game. So, yes, Dash, let's be too greedy and let's get up the table. 50 points. Let's start becoming a 50-point-a-season team in the short term. That's what we should be aiming for now, not 40 points. We're not just getting to 40 points and surviving. We're going to push on, push on, get greedy and start 50 points because that's how we then progress to stay in the league. So that is my one thing. Um, I think that's everything we've got time for, actually, this week. I'm just having a quick look on my little show notes. So, nope, I don't have anything else written down there. So let's call it a day. Um, We've, of course, got the winter break, so we've no game this weekend. We've no preview show at the weekend. So it's going to be a couple of weeks before the panellists on this show and uh, Statman Dave and I come and visit you for the preview show. So, um, Richard, what are you going to spend your mid-winter break on? What are you going to do? Um, while Burnley's not playing, whatever the missus tells me to do. Excellent. Well done. You've learned well, my friend. Um, George, what are you going to spend your mid-winter break doing? You've put, you put us right on the spot here. It made me think, I've got, I've got no plans. I'm a student. What am I meant to be doing? Oh, yeah, you're always on a midwinter break. What am I on about? Well, like, you're, yeah, you're just going to do Saturday. September. 
I've not got much to plan, but I'll be looking back happily on the seven points on nine that we've got recently. And just thinking back, for before the Leicester game, a lot of us were saying, where the heck is our next point coming from? We were. We thought we were going to lose all these three games. So I think we can sit pretty on 31 points during this break. That's a good thing to think about. And actually, George, you're absolutely right. I think if about four or five podcasts ago, we said there's a real danger that we could be in the bottom three by the end of the by the end of January because we were worried we had um, obviously Leicester, Chelsea, United, and Arsenal. We were like, we're going to be bottom. And interestingly, if you look at the table as of today, what day is it today? Fourth of February. Um, without those seven points, we would we'd have had let we'd have had a worse goal difference on West Ham, and we would have been eighteenth. We'd have been in the bottom three. So these points are absolutely vital. Um, I'm going to spend my midweek break in the Alps. I'm going skiing and I literally cannot wait to go and lose my soul to the mountains. It's going to be great. Um, Listeners, no matter what you're doing over the midwinter break, enjoy it. Um, Take some time out to recap over the highs and the lows of this Premier League season. It's been... It's been an up and down one, but it's probably been my most enjoyable one because it's really kept us on our toes now. It's I think we'll look back on this one as a really key season to where Burnley Football Club go in the next 10 years. So whatever you're doing, enjoy, stay safe, have a break. Um, my thanks as ever go to the whole known and ever team for um, their contributions every week, particularly Richard Steele and George Poole, my panellists this evening. Thank you both. Um, producer Matt, who I, I think I called him Producer Dave on the previous show last week. That was an unfortunate error. Producer Matt, who um, is very rarely on this side of the show, but does put a lot of work in each week to knit it all together and to to put out what you're listening to now. So thanks, Matt. Um, Band Joyce for providing all of our music. Um, But as ever, my biggest thanks go to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to our podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Ever podcast. Until next time. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.